tonight we're going to talk about wisdom prayer in the narrow way. We're in the greatest sermon ever preached, the greatest sermon ever uttered on earth. I mean, a masterpiece, and of course it came from the master, but I, I, as a preacher, I often think, you know, Jesus sat down and this just flowed out of him, and just masterful. There's nothing in life, for the most part, that this does not touch on. Uh, and speak to, and give us guidance and direction. And so I'm just always amazed. But tonight we're going to deal with some of my favorite parts of the Sermon on the Mount. So um, I want us to go ahead and do what we always do, and let's look up here and read the text. And um, you can read it along with me if you want to. You're in church, shout it out, read the Word of God. But let's look at what we're dealing with tonight. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. Tell your neighbor, that ain't you. Okay. Nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened up to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Verse 12, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, For this is the law and the prophets, so there you have the golden rule. Now verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Wow. Thank you, Lord, for your word tonight. This is the word of God. And we thank you, Lord, for opening our hearts to it, feeding our souls with it, making us strong in our inner man. Thank you, Lord, for giving us understanding and wisdom and helping us to walk this life you've called us to more successfully because of what we learned tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's going to be good tonight. Of course, when you teach what Jesus said, it's always good. Now, um, so many good things here, and I'm going to just start at verse 6, and let's just break down and unpack what Jesus said. And uh, first, don't give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls in front of swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, what a curious statement. Now, if you just heard that uh, just by itself, wouldn't that be a weird kind of a statement? I mean, here you've got holy, pearls, dogs, and pigs in one statement. And so it's, a, it's not mysterious, but it's an intriguing statement that Jesus makes. And, uh, and I want you to know that the listeners were constantly amazed at what he taught and how he taught it. No man speaks like this man. That was the scuttlebutt about him. 
He was such a master communicator. Now, let's just talk about holy pearls, dogs, and pigs. First, both holy and pearls refers to the precious things of God. That's what it's talking about. Don't give what is holy to those that have no heart for it. Okay? Uh, Pearls. The things of God. The precious things of God. How many of you can say in my life, there are things that God has given to me and, and things about him, starting with him, that are sacred and precious to me, right? I mean, how many of you can say Jesus is sacred and precious? The Bible is sacred and precious. The, the truth's in it, all right? So the gospel, that's a pearl. The word of God, that's a pearl. Uh, living a clean, a, a clean Christian life. That's, uh, and the truth that takes you there. Those are pearls, okay? The teachings of Jesus and so on. What we're looking at tonight, to, to us, this is precious. It's sacred. It's holy. It's unmatched. It's without parallel. All right? That's the way we see it. But not the dogs and not the pigs. Well, what is that? Well, those are the people who reject and oppose and abuse Christ, his gospel, and the things of God. Like when you talk to this kind of person, the dogs and the pigs. Now, Jesus is not calling somebody a dog. He's not calling somebody a pig. He's drawing an illustration. He's telling us there are certain kinds of people that are not going to receive what you try to share with them about Christ. They're not going to receive it. I really believe when he taught this, he had the Pharisees in mind because this is the way they treated him, like dogs and pigs, okay? Uh, They are mockers, revilers, persecutors of the faith. You know, you talk to some people about the gospel, and they may not be game for it, but they're at least polite, right? But there are some people in our day, hello, we're there. They'll mock you, curse you, threaten you, ridicule you, uh, you name it. They are the dogs and the pigs. They are the unappreciative. Those that want nothing to do with what you consider holy and sacred. They want nothing to do with it. Um, Peter prophesied, I want to remind you in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, mocking scoffers, these are people who, who make fun of and ridicule and tear down and, and uh, treat with contempt the truths of God, the precious things of God. Jude said the same thing, Jude 1.17, but you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. All they're about is satisfying their carnal flesh. They want nothing to do so, with what you're saying. So these are the scoffers. These are the dogs. These are the pigs. So let, let's carry the dog illustration out a little bit. These are people who, figuratively speaking, bark and growl at you when you share the things of God. I mean, hey, have you seen it on YouTube? 
Have you seen it on social media? They don't just say, you know, I just don't go with that. But no, they're going to growl. They're going to bark. They're gonna, when a, do- a dog growls and barks at you, it's threatening. It, it is, it's uh, unpleasant. Uh, it makes you uncomfortable. It's, it's meant to be mean and drive you away. That's them. The swine are people who mindlessly, look at what Jesus said they'll do. They take the pearl, the precious things of God, and the first thing they do is trample it. They trample it. They trample on the things of God. Morally impure people, and I'm just telling you what the Bible says, not Jeff. Morally impure people who are all about taking care of their own fleshly cravings. The, the morally impure, who are corrupt, polluted, profane, obscene, sensual. Those are Bible descriptives of the dogs and pigs, the swine. They don't recognize the precious value of the things of God. They don't recognize it. They can't see it. They have no appreciation for it. As Paul told the Corinthian church, he said, the the carnal cannot appreciate or grasp the things of the Spirit. They can't. They have no taste for it. They have taste only for the fleshly, corrupt things of this fallen world. They have no taste for the things of God. Then look what the swine do. They trample the message. Then they turn and attack the messenger. That's what Jesus said. They turn and rend you. They come at you. They go after you. First they trample on what you said. Then they come at you. Are we there? In American culture. Oh, you better know we are. Are we there in the world? Look at it. I'm constantly amazed. at. It's almost like in today's schools, they graduate with a very limited vocabulary of primarily curse words. And that's all they know to say. Their, their reactions to you are, are so limited. There's no intellectual involvement, no valid argument, just this low-level, elementary cursing. They turn and rend you. They turn and come after you. And i got to tell you, church, unless there is a true awakening, a mighty move of God in America, it's only going to get worse. So I hope you're ready. One of the reasons we teach on Wednesday nights through the, through the books of the Bible is I want you to not be shocked or surprised when even Jesus said, listen, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they came after me, they're going to come after you. So here's the deal. To sum it up, we should without question take the gospel to the world. It's not that we shouldn't take the gospel to the world. We do that every day. With our, starting with our own circle of relationships. You're supposed to start at home and go out from there. Okay, But there comes a time when they have no interest at all but to mock and ridicule you and the message. So what do you do? At that point, Jesus said, walk away. And wipe the dust off your feet. Has that ever happened to you? It's happened to me. 
say, well, Pastor Jeff, we shouldn't give up on anybody. He didn't say, don't pray for them. He just said, quit trying to reach somebody whose heart has no interest and they're only mocking you. Move on to the next person who might be a yes person and not a no person. Go on to the next one. Paul did that. He was ministering. Paul, when he went to a town, he went straight to the synagogue. First thing he did was start engaging the Jews in talking to them about how Jesus was Messiah. But you know in the book of Acts, after he had done this with one particular group of Jewish men in one city, they so rejected it that he said, I I wash my hands of you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles from now on because you don't want the message. So he, he rejected it and them said, I'm going on. And Paul from then on went to the Gentiles. What did he do? He, he wiped the dust off his feet. He realized these are dogs and pigs. And I'm not calling, I'm saying it's, it's an illustration of how they treat you. Not calling anybody a name. That's not what he was doing. How they act. Okay? So you go to the next person. You move on. Amen? I've stood, out some, I've stood outside of some locations where I try to reach them with a word, and I've hit the dust off my feet and moved on. I've literally done it. Amen? You got to know, what's the old Kenny Rogers song? You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. Don't ask me how that came to me, but I'm just... You got to know when to stay with it. You got to know when to walk. Well, how do you know? You'll know. You know down in your knower, right? Now, next, Jesus turns to one of his favorite topics, and that's the topic of prayer. Now, he's already talked about it in chapter 6 for uh, 10 verses, 5 to 15 Matthew 6, 5 to 15, he's already been talking about prayer. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, eat, or drink. Don't worry. Pray about everything. But he's going to deal with prayer again, but a particular aspect of prayer, and that's perseverance. He says in verse 7, Ask, it'll be given you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, it'll be open. Everyone who asks is going to receive. Now, let, let, the, let the Master, Jesus Christ, who could pray better than anybody in the history of the world, what did he say about the certainty of prayer? He said, if you ask, you're going to receive. If you seek, you're going to find. If you knock, it's going to be open. Not hope so, maybe so, perhaps so, if so, none of that. If you're praying according to the will of God, you're going to receive. You're going to find. It's going to be open. He's telling us prayer works. Okay? So we have here three key verbs. Ask and seek and knock. With the promise, we'll receive what we ask for, find what we're seeking, and the door on which we knock will be open. So, little thing about these three verbs. Ask, seek, knock. Number one, They're in the Greek present tense. And what that means for you and me is it means continual action. That's the Greek present tense, the continual action. Those three verbs, every one of them in a row, Greek continuous action, ask and keep on doing it. 
Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Don't put up the white flag. Don't let unbelief attack you. Because sometimes you receive immediately and sometimes it takes time. So Jesus said, ask and keep on doing it. Seek and keep on with it. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap if you faint not. So essentially he's telling us here, don't faint in prayer. Luke 18, 1, he taught them this parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And that's the parable of the unjust judge, Luke 18, 1. So over and over again, Jesus talks about the importance of, of perseverance in prayer. Staying with it. Don't, don't assume that because you didn't get the answer after your first prayer, he's not going to do it. Keep on asking. Well, we all know this from little kids in Christmas time, right? I mean, my dad, when I wanted something, I made sure they heard it from me 10 different ways from 10 different directions. I want a Daisy BB gun. And I would say it in every way that I could, and I kept on saying it because I want to be sure they got it. Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and stay with it. Delay doesn't mean denial. Right? Jesus says, just just so that you get it, let me draw the illustration of an earthly father and your heavenly father. I'm going to show you, by just talking to you about an earthly father, how you should have strong confidence in prayer when you're going to your heavenly father. Because he's not just God, not just the one who sent his only begotten son, but he's our father. He's our father in heaven. How do we pray, Lord? Here's how you pray. Our father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus said, I want you to learn to view him that way. He's not just some distant, fire-breathing God who's going to judge people someday. But he's your heavenly father. So he's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. He's going to fight for you. He's going to help you, strengthen you, uphold you, guide you, direct you, advise you, counsel you, make sure that you get where you need to be. He's your father. So he draws this illustration. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Can you imagine a dad doing that? Dad, I'm so hungry. Would you please give me some bread? Sure. Here's a nice rock. You would think that dude was a psychopath. But Jesus is using an exaggeration, which he does all the time, to make a point. So he's being hyperbolic. I'm just showing you that no dad you know anything about would do that. So I'm making, I'm exaggerating to make a point. Then he says in verse 10, or if he asks for a fish dinner, will he give him a snake? Nobody's going to do that unless they're truly insane. So he's pointing to what you normally expect from an earthly father. Okay, only a mentally twisted and cruel father would hand a hungry child a rock when he wants bread. 
or a snake when he wants a fish dinner. No, you're going you're gonna to provide for your kids. That's normal fatherhood. So Jesus' point is even fallen sinful fathers on earth. Fallen and sinful and full of flaws are on the whole faithful providers. Okay? It's just natural. So if that's true, then we can count on the faithful provision of our perfect heavenly father. If your earthly father took care of you as messed up as he was, then your perfect heavenly father is going to do infinitely better. Are you, are you with me? Oh, this is so important. So Jesus then brings home his point. He says, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father, how much more, everybody say how much more. How much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In Luke's version, he says give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him. So there's no comparison between a flawed earthly father and our perfectly heavenly father. So based on God's unfailing character, Uh, then Jesus encourages you and me, his children, to boldly ask the Heavenly Father and keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking. Because he's your daddy. Who's your daddy? God's your daddy. Amen? Now, I've got to say one last thing about these three verbs. Ask, seek, knock. They, they indicate increasing intensity. Watch this. Prayer begins with asking, okay? Petitioning. I'm asking God. It's, it's just a simple, Lord, uh, I need a job, okay? We make our requests known to God. And everyone who asks, Jesus said, if you ask according to the will of God, which John made sure we understood, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, then we know we have the petitions we've requested of him. So if we ask according to his will, how do you know you're asking according to his will? You find it in the word of God, which is a book of promises. So receiving is the reward of asking. So you start there, a simple asking. But prayer can also involve seeking. The answer requires sort of mutual cooperation between us and God. We've asked him to provide or to do something, but we're also going to seek. For instance, let me ask you, if you ask him for a job and sit in your living room till he gives it to you, you going to get a job? No. Once you ask, you've got to seek. So we not only ask, but we, then we search for, we, we, we seek what we've asked for. And maybe not just what we've asked for alone, but we also uh, seek God himself and a better knowledge of his will. I don't know about you, but when I'm in real need and I'm really praying that God will answer me on something, it has a way of driving me into seeking him harder. It makes me just press in. I want to to press in and seek him and say, Lord, do do I fully understand your will? Do I fully understand what your purpose is for me? Do I fully understand uh, everything involved that I'm praying for? You know, I'm praying for a ministry or praying for some door to open. 
And, and so now I'm seeking it out. Not only am I seeking you know, that job, but my need drives me into wanting to know God better, wanting to press into Him tighter. Thank God for, and I'm not asking for more trials here, Lord, but thank God for trials when they come because they pressure us to seek God on a level we never would if everything was wonderful. Isn't that the truth? Many, many, many times in my Christian journey, I've not just asked God for something, but I've diligently sought out God. Diligently. His will, His guidance for very important provision issues or decisions that I needed to make. So I didn't just seek, uh, seek to, to find what I'm asking Him for, but I've also sought Him. The prophet Jeremiah said, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You'll seek me and find me. David said, until I began to suffer, I went astray. But now that I've been afflicted, I'm seeking your face. So need brings us into seeking the face and the will of God more than we ever would. And I'm going to tell you, I'm there in my life. As a matter of fact, I'm almost always there seeking God. I know him, I know him, but I want to know him better. I know the word, but oh, I'm, I am starving to know the word better. And I've been studying the word my whole life. And I feel like I've just begun to scratch the surface. Don't mean to discourage you, but I'm just telling you. Because it's such an infinite book. I mean, you could live to be a thousand and, and, and never plumb all of its depths. It's just this beautiful it's far more complex and, and uh, multifaceted than most people realize. And, and so I, I, I press into that word every day. I told Cindy today, I said, you know, I needed to yesterday to get ready for tonight. But in my devotional, I ran across a verse and I chased that thing down all day long. And it ate up all my time for tonight, but I made up for that this morning. But every single day in my devotional, I'll, I'll run across something that I get this hunger to chase it down. Because I didn't understand it like I thought I did. And I want to understand it better. Am I talking to anybody tonight? Yeah. I, I want to know that word. And I find that the more I know the word, the more I know the God of the word. Yeah. So say with me, finding is the reward of seeking. But then finally you come to knocking until the door is open. And that suggests persevering with even more intensity. These words are getting stronger. Simple petition, giving time and energy to seeking. And then knocking means I'm standing at a door and I'm not going to quit until you open this door. And not just to the door to his presence and favor but the door to what you've been praying about. Uh, be it a provision of some kind, a, a door to open a, a, for ministry, a, a better understanding of some Bible teaching, which I run into a lot. Uh, the list is endless. The door you want to open. You want God to open. I know I talk about my little dogs a lot, but 
That's just where I live. So I got to tell you, how often have I thought that if I don't open the doors for them, they're going to die. I got to open the right doors for them every day or they're not going to make it. The door to go outside, if I don't open that door, I don't make it. Because I want them going outside. You know why. Okay, but the door to where they eat. The, the door uh, to, to where they get water. If I don't open the doors, they're helpless. A being higher than them, more intelligent than them, stronger than them, has to open the doors for them. There are some doors you and I are never going to go through unless God opens it. That's what it's talking about. It's a God door. It's a God door. And when God opens the door, no man shuts it. And when he shuts it, no man opens it. Right? So now you're persevering until something happens. Either God says to you, you're knocking on the wrong door, or you've got to persevere. Don't ask me why the door doesn't open immediately. Maybe to teach us to not give up. But we knock and knock and knock until finally... Either that door opens or a door down the road opens that we were supposed to go through the whole time. But God opens doors. Amen. So say with me, an open door is the reward of knocking. Now he comes to the last passages that we're going to deal with tonight. And it's Jesus' message on two roads in life. This is strong. Enter by the narrow gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many, most, go down that road. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate, difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Now listen to Jesus. There's only two roads in life. There's only two. There's not a hundred options. There's two roads. You may think you've got a lot more roads looking at you, but I guarantee you, whatever you think is a road falls into the category of either the wide one or the narrow one. There's only two roads in life. That's it. Jesus said one of them is narrow and difficult, and the other one is wide, and at the beginning, it's easy. In the end, it's rough. At the beginning, the narrow road is difficult, but in the end, it leads to life. So you got a paradox here. In Jesus' day, cities were multi-gated. There were wide gates leading to uh, the main avenues in the city, and there were narrow gates for much more personal use. Narrow gates, and these narrower gates were sometimes called the needle's eye. That's what they were called in Jesus' time. Now, no doubt he was referring to these facts of cities in his time to make his point. And he's not talking, though, about streets or roads leading to some uh, store you're looking for or somebody's house or another town. He's talking about two roads that decide your eternal future. You're on one of the two. I don't care who you are. And it'll also decide the quality of your life here and now. There's only two. Every human being alive and listening to my voice right now, you're on one of the two. There are no other options. You may think there are, but there's not. 
It's only two roads. And those two roads, you got to pick what road you're going to travel very carefully because it sets the trajectory for not only the rest of your life, but the rest of your eternal existence. These two roads are extremely important. Jesus says the wide gate to the wide road represents the way to self-destruction. You want to self-destruct? Go down the wide road. Because you're only living for yourself on the wide road. You're not living for anyone. You're living for yourself. To satisfy your own fleshly cravings and, and you're not in any way interested in fulfilling God's will for your life. You're on the wide road. Jesus said many go down that road. Because initially it's the easiest road. It's wide because in a fallen world there's endless sinful, ill-advised options to choose from in a fallen world. But they all still fall, fall under the umbrella of the wide road. No matter what you think you're on, if it's living for yourself and you have no interest in Christ or God and doing His will for your life, you're on the wide road. And it leads to destruction. You will self-destruct on it. You will not come out whole. And eternally, you will be ever separated from God. So that's why the road's important. And, and let, let's just talk religiously for a minute. There's a multitude of options. But they're all on the wide road. All of them. Cults are everywhere, all around you. All kinds of cults. Crazy, loony, zany cults. That are, that are capturing millions of people. Um, all the way down to New Age spirituality, which is very important. I preached on it one Sunday. Very important to a lot of people. And, and, and the buzzword is, if you say to them, do you believe in God? Oh, I'm very spiritual. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means I'm very spiritual. Well, that's great, but are you saved? Well, I'm very spiritual. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that I'm very spiritual. Well, aren't you something? But what does that mean? They don't know what that means. It's New Age spirituality. You can worship nature. You can worship at the altar of self. There's all kinds of religious options on the wide road. But there's only one for the narrow road. And that's Christ. And Him crucified. And resurrected from the dead. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And He's the only access to get onto the narrow road that leads to life. Matter of fact... He's the door. He's the gate. And you won't get on the narrow road unless you go in through Him. I don't care who you are, what you think, how religious or spiritual you think you are. All of those options still lead to self-destruction. Philosophically, there's hundreds of possibilities philosophically. Uh, I found over 200 isms. Now, I'm not going to give them all to you because then you'd get up and walk out if I started giving you 200 isms. But listen to these. Let me give you a few. Humanism, secularism, relativism, agnosticism, Darwinism, careerism, where you make career your God. Existentialism, hedonism, where you live for pleasure, idealism, individualism, and the list goes on. These are all philosophical options on the wide road. But they're all part and parcel of that one wide road. 
It's like walking onto the Midway. I've always thought of this when I go to the State Fair and walk onto the Midway. It's insane, right? But you walk onto the Midway in the State Fair, and that wide and crowded road immediately offers you a thousand distractions, temptations, allurements, and I will say money traps. Okay? Carnival barkers, those are the guys in the booths where, you know, you do the basketball or you throw the darts and to win a stuffed teddy bear for your sweetheart and look like the big man, right? So they're calling to you. They're barking from their booth. Come over here. No, come over here. No, try this. Come on, try that. Let's see how strong you are. Let's see how accurate you are. Let's see what a good shot you are. And as you walk down the midway, you're constantly being called here, there, and everywhere. And that, to me, is a picture of life. Because in real life, the devil, like the quintessential carnival barker, shouts out to the wide road travelers to try out the next attraction, the next game, the next challenge, the next allurement. Try this, try that, try the other. And his whole end game is to keep you and I on the wide road till we die. Then there's the narrow road. Are you ready? This really sounds attractive. The narrow road is the opposite of the wide road. Narrow means, in the Greek language, compressed, pressured, restricted, hemmed in between walls or rocks, like the narrow passageway on a mountain trail. It's the idea of you are pressed, you are restricted, you are on a narrow path. That's the idea. You're you're in a constricting situation. You can't, you don't have much room to move. You got to keep going straight. The narrow road, Jesus told us a lot about it. He said it's the road of self-denial, discipleship, carrying your cross, persecution, and swimming upstream against the world, the flesh, and the devil until the day you go home. Appealing, isn't it? Boy, that sounds great to me. Constricted, restricted, self-denying. No wonder our culture doesn't much like Christianity because our culture is all about self. Not denying myself, satisfying myself. But here's what Jesus said. That narrow, constricted road where you are under his lordship doing what he says obeying his word, he said, that leads to life. That leads to life. Not just in the hereafter, but in the here and now. It leads to a totally different quality of life. Real life. Zoe, the Greek word. Life, true life. On the wide road, you got temporary pleasure, but you don't have the pleasure of God's peace. On the wide road, you got the applause of the world, but you don't have the applause of heaven. On the wide road, you've got hell to look forward to, not heaven. But the narrow and restricted road of obedience, coming under the yoke of Jesus, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest for your soul when you get yoked up to Jesus. 
Amen? Then Jesus said, it's the infinitely superior road. Can I tell you a little secret? The majority is usually wrong. The majority is usually wrong. Jesus said, not many are going to be on that road with you. It's the road less traveled, to quote Robert Frost. The narrow road is the road less traveled. But it's the road that leads to life, real life, peace with God, joy in the Holy Ghost, freed from the shackles of this world, freed increasingly from habits and addictions that pull us down and destroy our bodies and our minds and our life. No, it's the road that if you stay on it, it's going to lead to high quality of life. And when you go home, when you die, straight into eternal life. Amen. How many can say the narrow road sounds good to me? All right. Does anybody have a question for me tonight? Or when we... you talked about uh, knocking the dust off your feet and walking away, what scripture was that? Um, Jesus... I, Right offhand, I don't know the exact chapter and verse, but I'll tell you, if you just Googled that phrase, it would pop up and give you all the versions. And uh, it'd be easy to find. So, yeah, good question. Because it is. Jesus did say that. And um, so, anyone else? Any other questions? Well, they're working you tonight, Connor, from one side to the other. Go right over here real quick. There we go. Um, some people say that uh, since we're under grace, that they don't have to follow the law anymore. What would you tell somebody like that? They fight the fact that we're saved by his blood and we don't have to necessarily do everything by the word. Okay. So once we're saved under grace, some say that we don't have to follow the law anymore because we're under grace. Okay. There's three kinds of law in the Old Testament. Civil, ceremonial, and uh, civil ceremonial, here's civil, it was the law they had to live under. Okay? So the law they had to live under as an Israeli culture that Moses gave them, like we have our Texas laws. That was the civil law. Then the ceremonial was the feasts, you know, the Feast of Tabernacles and all the different feasts and uh, things that they observed as taught by Moses. There were many. They had many feasts at any given year. And um, uh, so that was their ceremonial law. Both of civil and civic passed away when Christ came. Because when Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD and the temple with it, that was sort of God's way of saying the whole Mosaic system is gone now. Okay. So civil and ceremonial that Israel lived under, their laws and their ceremonies, we don't have to observe them anymore. Okay? I don't have to, thank God I can eat pork. Well, y'all are quiet on that one. I don't have to live under the civil and ceremonial rules that Moses put Israel under. Okay? But then the third kind of law was moral law. The moral law was... uh, 
encapsulated in the Ten Commandments. Okay? So, thou shalt not kill. Do we still have to live under that? Yeah. Thou shalt not steal. How about that one? Uh, Thou shalt not lie about your neighbor. How about that one? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We still have to live under that? Yeah. So we don't have to live under the civil and ceremonial anymore. But we for sure are under the moral law. Because, listen, one sure way to, to know this is when there was a law in the Old Testament and it's clearly carried over into the new, then it's good for us. So people say, I'm going to go now into an unpolitically correct arena, but let me do it. People say about homosexuality, because it's so such an issue in our time. They say, oh, well, well, that was just Levitical law. That was just under Moses, where man lying with a man was forbidden. That was Moses. We're under the new covenant now. But, oh, did it get carried over into the new covenant? Start with Romans 1 and take a right. And just start reading. All right? And you'll find that it's all through the New Testament. So when the New Testament carries over something from the old, it's good for the new covenant. The moral law is for sure carried over into the new. Okay? Is that clear? Matthew 10, 14 is which one? Oh, that's your verse, dear. Matthew 10, 14. Okay, thank you. Uh, one more question. Boy, they're, they're just out to get you tonight, Connor. <laughs> right here, Elizabeth. So I have a question about prayer. I was told that the enemy can't read our thoughts, only the Lord can but he can put stuff into our mind, right? Mm -hmm. So when we're praying, it like, for instance, there's some things that I don't pray out aloud because I don't want the the devil to hear it. Is that, like, real? Like, am I supposed to, like, I just, it's the thing I heard, so I just, it's, like, stuck in my head. I understand. But is it... I know that in the Bible it says that we need to speak out and ask what we want and our yeah. fears and all that, but I'm kind of like, should I not? Because then... Because the, the devil will hear you, what you're concerned about, and then attack you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've had, I've had that thought myself. Here's my rule of thumb. It should be all of our rule of thumb. This. If it's in the New Testament, it's good. It's good for me. If I see an apostle going... Now, when you're praying, be careful. You don't say certain things so Satan doesn't hear you. It's nowhere there. But I don't see anywhere in the New Testament any of the apostles or any of the the Christians in the book of Acts anywhere them being careful of not saying certain things in prayer lest the devil hear it and attack them. Um, it's, It's just not there. So my rule of thumb is that's my instruction manual. And if I see it there Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude teach it. Was it modeled in the book of Acts in the early church? Any of that? I don't see it. So I encourage you tomorrow morning when you pray, let her rip. Okay? Let's stand together, can we? (laughs) Yeah. Pray with all your heart. All right, let's thank the Lord tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the, the narrow road that leads to life. Lord, it's a fulfilling road, a satisfying road. It is the road that leads to genuine 
life. Help us, Lord, to walk down that narrow road, obeying you, picking up the cross daily, denying ourselves when self needs to be denied, and help us, Lord, to remain and get stronger in our spirit, in our inner man, so that we can impact this world. In Jesus' name, amen.